Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 312 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. May the 4th be with you, Donald Wine, and you, Jason Evans, and all of you out there. I am Sam Klein. I'm your host for this episode. It is Tuesday, May 4th, which means that it is Star Wars Day. Guys, feel free to drop Star Wars references anywhere you feel is appropriate on this episode. But let's say hello, and then we have a lot of a lot of little things to talk about, so we'll, we'll we'll dive right into that. Donald Wine is here. Donald, how are you doing on this Star Wars Day? Good. I was wearing my. I, I have a New Era hat of the child. Uh, in fact, as I finish, I, I'm going to go see it. People out here uh, who are listening won't be able to see this hat, but you two will. But yeah, it's been a nice day. Very busy, but uh, a lot of stuff to talk about that has just kind of transpired over the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Jason Evans is also here. Jason, your power went out earlier, but now I think you're okay. How you doing, sir? I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> that's my that's my Star <laughs> Wars go. reference. Yes. Oh wow. Donald put the put the child hat on it. it looks oh, that's amazing. nice. The baby Yoda hat. I know it's supposed to be cool. the child, but I I I will forever call him Baby Yoda. No, I mean I, that's I what it was. That's what it, he was called when I got the hat. He now has had two names since then, but Baby Yoda, the child. Goku, Gro- Grogu, Grogu, yeah, we'll, we'll all be accepted. Baby Yoda is the only acceptable one, I think. <laughs> all right. So as I said, we have a lot to talk about. There is I, something that may have flown under the radar for folks, especially if you're if you're more focused on basketball, is that the NFL draft happened and Duke had an excellent day in the NFL draft, one of Duke's best days in program history in the NFL draft. So we will talk about that. We're also going to touch on the... Uh, current state of the NBA as it relates to Duke players. We're not going to be able to talk about all of them because frankly, there are, there a lot. are, there <laughs> there are too are many lot. of them who are doing well. To, you know, if, if, if it's a great day for Duke in the NFL draft, it, it is one of the best seasons. I think that, that we can remember for Duke guys in the NBA and the high level that so many of them are playing at right now. So we'll touch on a few of those guys, but before we get to the pros, we need to talk a little bit about recruiting because as we've, mentioned a few times in the last few weeks, Duke is zeroing in on one last big time recruit in the current senior class, the the graduating class. That's Patrick Baldwin Jr. He is a small forward from up in Milwaukee. The the long expected uh, sort of story around his commitment or his recruitment is that it's Duke versus University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, which is where his father is the head coach. So so that's sort of the the scene. Jason, I will give it to you. Just kind of give us the the current status of the Patrick Baldwin recruitment. We know that Duke's roster is sort of full enough without him, but that Blue Devil fans are probably excited for the possibility that he's going to join an already star-studded cast uh, in Durham this fall. So what's the latest on Patrick Baldwin? Uh, so the latest in terms of facts is no one knows anything. Patrick Baldwin has been very, very quiet. He has kept things very close to the vest. He is one of the last players, one of the last significant players, um, you know, in the class of 2021 to make his decision known. And anyone who tells you they they know what he's going to do is probably lying. Um, I will tell you what the what the speculation is. Um, the the speculation is that Duke, who was thought to be out of it for Patrick Baldwin a few weeks ago, is apparently very, very much back in it. There's lots of talk that Duke's current committed players, Trevor Keels, Paolo Banchero, um, uh, AJ Griffin, um, have been working hard on Patrick Baldwin, trying to convince him to come in to form another super class and, and make no mistake. If we add Patrick Baldwin, this is, this is another one of these super classes. We've had a couple of them, but this would be yet another one. But supposedly they've been working really hard saying to him, come here, let's win a ring. And there have been there have been a number of crystal balls. Crystal ball is a is a function of 24 seven sports where all these experts register their picks. There have been a number of picks, several picks, especially by some guys who are very close to the Duke program for Duke in recent days, um, including guys who are now saying they're very, very confident that Patrick Baldwin is going to pick Duke. Um, the internet today, uh, the, the recruiting world sort of exploded with these rumors that Baldwin might make an announcement this week, perhaps Thursday. Uh, look, nothing. there's nothing official out there. We don't. I'm not going to pretend like we know more than what we're saying here. 
I will merely say that if you have to read the tea leaves, the tea leaves are saying that Patrick Baldwin's getting very, very close to deciding and that Duke was thought to be out of it. Duke is very, very, very much in it at the moment. And, and I mean, that's about all you can say, I guess, Donald, you want to, you want to talk a little about his dad? Um, is there anything to say? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the interesting scenario in this is that his dad, Patrick Baldwin senior is the head coach of university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, which is the other team thought to be the front runner, at least into the last couple of days where it seems like it has ventured into neck and neck territory or leaning Duke, whatever you want to believe. But I think the issue is a lot of speculation out there has been about whether Patrick Baldwin Jr. would want to go to Milwaukee or stay home at Milwaukee and play with his dad. There's an interesting scenario into this, and it'll tie into something that just happened down at Oklahoma State, and I'll explain in just a second. Patrick Baldwin Sr., as I said, is currently the head coach at Milwaukee. He has been fighting for a contract extension, and the speculation is, and, and the swirling has been about whether he would get said extension on his contract. A lot of people are thinking that Milwaukee has been waiting to see what his son does with his recruitment before giving him that extension. The reason why that is important is because we have seen in the past, sometimes teams will hire coaches uh, or, or siblings or relatives of any kind of a recruit so that they can steer them towards that school only to discard them or let go of them or part ways once that recruit has gone on to the NBA or to the NFL draft or what have, whatever sport they're in with Cade Cunningham. He was one of the best players in this past uh, freshman class is going to be one of the top picks in the NBA draft this year. His brother Cannon Cunningham was hired the year before he arrived as an assistant coach. And basically the speculation was that he was hired to kind of steer Cade to Oklahoma state. Now that Cade has gone to the NBA draft, all of a sudden, Cannon Cunningham is no longer a part of Oklahoma State staff. They have parted ways. So the idea is that some people are thinking that Milwaukee is kind of in the same boat, trying to see if getting giving a contract extension will yield a Patrick Baldwin Jr. I don't know if that has anything to do with his recruitment or at least what his decision may be come. You know, I, I think people are pointing towards Thursday as the magic day uh, where we will get a decision finally. But I think, the idea is that all of these aspects of, of Patrick Baldwin's recruitment and Patrick Baldwin Sr.'s contract extension are starting to go hand in hand. Well, and, and the rumor, and again, this is pure speculation, but the rumor out there is that Milwaukee told Patrick Baldwin Sr. in just the past few days that they, they told him, we're not going to give you an extension at this time. And, that, and there's some talk that maybe that has been the thing that has now steered Patrick Baldwin Jr., away from Milwaukee. The fact that they have not committed to his father long-term has maybe freed him up, so to speak, to, to, to come back to Duke. And by the way, I should add, there are other schools in the mix here. Uh, people from Georgetown, a couple of weeks ago, people from Georgetown really thought they had a great shot at this. If Patrick Baldwin makes an announcement Thursday or whenever, if he picks any of Duke, Milwaukee, or Georgetown, I will say I'm not surprised. I think any one of those three could realistically happen. It's interesting in this case that the contract extension is sort of part of the the negotiation or the or the setup here because normally you're not going to hear about recruits one recruit influencing so directly the contract status of of the head coach but this is a very particular situation where he would be not just a game changer at Wisconsin Milwaukee but like one of their all-time best players and so it it's it's not a, a sort of normal course of business, but it is sort of the way that, that this one's going. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he's going to pick Duke, but, but as we've said, it's not like Duke needs Patrick Baldwin next year. Although if they get him, it's going to be a, a, a huge pickup and, and it'll make the uh, roster conversations that we're going to have over the summer and into the fall that much more interesting. And the father son dynamic in connection is obviously something that's not new to this recruitment of Patrick Baldwin, we have seen over the years, a lot of players end up wanting to play for their father at a university, whether it's a big time university or even a small time university. We've seen that happen in the past. So this adds to the element of, of that dynamic because, hey, you know, both of them could be if the if he chooses to go to Milwaukee at this point, they both could be in their one their last year 
at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. It's, so that is probably not something that's supposed to tie into this recruitment, but is playing very heavily in the final decision. And, and I will say that we have just successfully spent a good 10 minutes talking about something where the opening line was, we don't really know what's happening here. <laughs> but I'm sure but, we'll, we'll be back soon to, to talk about it. Hopefully right. it wraps up soon. I mean, the, the summer is basically here. All these high school kids are wrapping up their seasons. So I'm not really sure what he's waiting for. And the transfer portal is open. So that there's, there's all kinds of movement going on right now. I hope for Patrick Baldwin's sake that he picks a destination soon and just figures out where he's headed because he's running out of time. This is the, uh, this is the Marvin Bagley situation all over again, right? Where, where it took yeah. him, took him a while to decide where he was going as well. All right, guys, uh, very quickly, this is a bit of news. That's not going to overwhelm anybody, but we should address it uh, just really briefly. College basketball national writer, John Rothstein tweeted earlier that uh, Duke is scheduled to host its own uh, multi-team event. One of those, uh, one of those exempt tournaments in the fall uh, in Durham. So, sort of similar to the way that they were planning to do uh, this past fall by, by inviting a few teams to come in. The three teams that are going to be joining Duke for that tournament are going to be Army, Hartford, and Campbell. Not exactly murderer's row, but Duke has to fill out a schedule. So, Donald, I'll ask you first, any reaction to the news that Duke is playing at least two of Army, Hartford, and Campbell this fall at Cameron Indoor Stadium? I think it's fine. I mean, it's not sexy, obviously, but I think you can't have... As much as us fans would like that, we can't have all power five teams and heavy hitters. We're playing Kentucky in the Champions Classic. We do know that. We're playing Gonzaga in Vegas. We do know that. That could possibly be one versus two. And we know we're going to draw a good team from the Big Ten in the ACC Big Ten Challenge because they're not going to give us Penn State or, or, or Michigan State after playing three years ago. We can't, and, and, and hey, hey, Donald, by the way, we also have Michigan State. Michigan State, um, we owe Michigan State a return game from last year's Big Ten challenge. So we have committed to Michigan State. So basically, if, if you know we're going to play. Wait, 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 hang on. We played them in the Champions Classic in Durham. All right. Sorry. Whichever it was. And we played right? Indiana. I, yeah. You're right. I apologize. I, I got that backwards. But bottom line is um, we owe Michigan. We, we said to Michigan State when they agreed to come to Cameron that we would do a return to Breslin um, for them next year. Uh, and unless that gets called off, unless that gets moved for some reason, we know Duke is going to have, like you said, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Kentucky, and a top, top, top tier Big Ten team. I still think it's going to be Ohio State, but probably someone ranked in the top five, top ten. So that's four top ten matchups that we've got. I mean, yeah, th this is going to be a tough schedule. <laughs> yeah, but even with these three teams, right? Like this is the MO of how Duke schedules games. Think about it. Hartford, a team that just made their first NCAA appearance. Campbell, a school that's right down the road, so a, a local North Carolina school, and Army, which is, of course, Coach K's alma mater and a team that with that matchup, you have to expect that we will play them, and that has some pageantry to it. So this makes a lot of sense. It is, is the schools, how they are put together, it makes a little bit of sense. I think it's fine, and it gives what we assume will be fans and students, you know, two more games in Cameron. So or, or even three if they decide to make it where we play a round-robin tournament. And, and I'll tell you, um, one thing I do like about this, uh, the, these are not great teams, but they're not terrible teams. They're all ranked in the top 200. Um, so at least they're not, you know, below 250, below 300. Um, and they are teams that, for the most part, contend for their conference championships. Donald, you pointed out Hartford won the America East. Campbell's one of the better teams in the Big South almost every year. Um, and, and Army's in the Patriot League and, and contends in the Patriot League. You know, I, I, would, I would say it's a pretty safe bet that all three of these teams will be well above 500 on the season next year. It's not to say that they're going to be great teams, that they're going to be top 100 or anything like that. But the, the, this is not unlike the kind of team that Duke would play in the first round of an NCAA tournament. I got no problem with Duke scheduling these games. Duke has to get the game somewhere, right? And and it, as you pointed out, Donald, there are reasons why Duke is playing every one of these opponents or why they would want every one of these opponents to be involved. Guys, I want to move to the topic that I'm most excited about today, which is Duke 
is in the NBA. Because as, as we said at the top, there's a lot of guys who are playing well right now. And we are not going to have time to tell you about how awesome Kyrie Irving is. We're not going to have time to tell you how awesome Gary Trent is. We're not even really going to have time to tell you how well Grayson Allen has been playing this year in probably his best showing so far in the NBA. Because we have some guys that we have honed in on that we want to talk about. And I'm going to let Donald start because his hometown Detroit Pistons have a Duke guy who is playing out of his mind right now. He wasn't in Durham very long, but I think we all really appreciated his time at Duke and, and have been waiting to see him break out like this. So Donald, tell us about Frank Jackson. Well, first of all, May the 4th uh, to Frank Jackson, which is his birthday. Uh, his birthday is today. He turns 23 today. So happy birthday to Frank Jack. Uh, at Sam, as you mentioned, he signed with the Pistons back in December, right after the season started. And eventually, because there was Mason Plumlee and Jello Okafer on the team as well, the Pistons are the Belle Isle Brotherhood. So we have we have three. We're one of the, the teams that has the Brotherhood label attached to their name. So that's great. But since March 15th, he has played in every single game for the Pistons after not appearing in 27 of the first 36 games for the team. But it's the way he's been playing that has been of, of been very notable. He's averaging 9.8 points, 2.2 rebounds uh, per game. He's averaging 46.3% from the field, almost 42% from three and 80% from the free throw line, which if you add that up, there's this stat called true shooting percentage, shooting efficiency, combining twos, threes, and, and free throws. He's shooting 61%, which means when the ball is in his hands, he is shooting 61%, whether it's from two, from three, or from free throws. Now, of course, you is a, a myriad average of that, but Keep in mind that Zion Williamson, who we will talk about in a second, has a 67% true shooting percentage. So we're in some ballpark here. Also with usage percentage, he's not just a guy who's coming off the bench, doing some cardio and going back on the bench. He's active in every almost every single play. He's 21%, 0.7% of the total plays on the floor. He is the main guy involved, whether it's as the point guard or taking a shot. So for a man coming off the bench, these are really good stats. It's in April, though, where he's just completely taken his game to another level and then carried that into May. So far in May, he's averaging 22 points a game in 34.6 minutes. Now, that is also with him not starting. So the fact that he's averaging 34.6 minutes per game without starting is a really good sign for him. He's doing this against NBA defenses. He's doing it when the Pistons, my Pistons, are terrible. They're the worst team in basketball right now and competing very hard in the Tankathon Olympics for that number one spot. And because of that, they've had a lot of chance to play him as Killian Hayes has worked himself back in. And as Killian Hayes, the number seven draft pick in this past year's draft, has worked his way back into the lineup, guess who's still with him? Frank Jackson. So that is a really good sign for him. I'm really liking what he's been doing for the Pistons, and hopefully he sticks around beyond this year because there's been a lot of turnover on this team, no, the the most uh, tenured Piston is the draft pick from 2019. So uh, he's the only guy left from the 2019-2020 Pistons. Frank Jackson is a guy who could stick around and really, after you know four or five years of really kind of bouncing around from team to team, from the G League to the NBA, he's really carved out a name for himself over these past few months. And I hope that continues with him playing with the Pistons full-time next season. You know what's funny to me about Frank Jackson is that when he left, I think we were all a little confused. We were like, we don't think he's he's likely to see the floor early in his NBA career. And it, it has, I think, taken him a few years to to really find his way. It's not like he's overwhelming physically. And it seems like now he's he's finally maturing to the point where he's he's getting that kind of run. So good for him. Wish he'd stuck around. That's a guy who I feel like, you know, another year or two in Durham would have really done him well. But alas, such is the the state of basketball these days. I'm going to go next because I, I know that Jason Evans is holding on to tons of Zion. He's holding on to enough Zion facts to fill Zion Williamson, who I think <laughs> is currently listed at like 285 pounds. So, so it's a lot of facts to fill a very big man. I'm going to go next because I want to talk to you about Jason Tatum. Now, you all know that I'm, I'm currently living in Boston. And while I have not yet attended a Celtics game, because the capacity is limited and quite frankly, I'm not fully vaccinated yet. So I haven't really felt the need to, but Oh boy, am I enjoying watching Jason Tatum? And this week, Jason Tatum garnered Eastern conference player of the week honors. I'm just going to read from the, from the Celtics report about him, because I don't think I can summarize this any better than they did. The NBA, so says the Celtics, made an unsurprising announcement Monday afternoon following a week in which Jason Tatum averaged a league-best 
42.7 points on 54.4% shooting from the field, including 59% from three-point range. And by the way, he added six rebounds, six to six, and the Celtics went two and one during that week. I can't believe the Celtics lost a game in a week when Jason Tatum averaged 42 points, highlighted, of course, by his 60-point effort in an overtime game against the Spurs the other night, which was awesome for a number of reasons. The The Celtics came back from a huge deficit. They were they were down 30 points to the to the Spurs late in the game and came all the way back to end up beating the Spurs in overtime. Tatum hit uh, the last couple buckets to seal the game. And then afterwards went and did uh, his best Will Chamberlain impression and made the, uh, made the, made the hand that was sign great. that had 60 written on it, which was, uh, which was extremely funny. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that, that I thought, Oh, well, he's, I think I saw a little bit of like, he's disrespecting the, the history or such and such, the Kobe game, whatever. Shut up. Like he, he was being silly about it. Jason Tatum, I think, is one of the most fun players in the NBA, not just because he went to Duke and not just because he has a cute little kid that that he drags along to the games with him. It seems like he's having more fun than anybody. Shout out to Deuce Tatum. Seems like he's he's having a great time. But man, Tatum has been lighting it up. His offensive skill set in Boston has just been incredible to watch develop. This is a guy who I think when he was in Durham, we were like, wow, he is he's, I think, a little bit better than, than was advertised. He was not the, the top-rated recruit on that team. Harry Giles was, despite the injuries. And Tatum has really blossomed into just one of the, the absolute best players. And that 60-point that performance was, was really something to watch. So a couple of things about this. I think we're kind of underselling uh, the 60-point effort. He's the second Celtic ever to hit 60. The only guy, Larry Bird. Uh, the second youngest to ever hit 60 in the history of the NBA. The youngest guy is Devin Booker, who is also a pretty good player in his own right. He's the third player ever to hit 60 points with zero turnovers in the game. Only Carmelo Anthony and Klay Thompson have done that. And on the top 10 list, uh, I think you mentioned that is the he's the Dookie that has scored the most in a game ever in the history of the NBA, of Dookies in the NBA. In that top 10 list, Kyrie is on there six times. Brandon Ingram and Grant Hill are on there once. Tatum now hits it for the second time. He had a 53-point performance a few years ago. So these are superlatives that aren't being screamed by a lot of people. But for a, a guy like Jason Tatum to do that, coming from a school that, like Duke University, who has a bunch of guys in the NBA doing everything night in and night out, for him to top that list is incredible to see. And he's just getting started. And by the way, as we look ahead, the playoffs are right around the corner. The Celtics just have seven games left this season, and, and most other teams are around that six, seven, eight games left. The Celtics are currently in seventh place in the East. And if you're following along with the NBA this year, if you or if you're just starting to tune in because the playoffs are coming and you, you haven't been made aware yet, the NBA is, is doing the playoffs a little bit differently this year, where the teams ranked uh, normally, it's just the top eight in each conference that make it to the playoffs this year the teams ranked seventh through 10th in each conference are playing a little mini tournament. I saw that LeBron James made some uh, comments the other day about how he's not happy about it. Despite the fact that he had some previous comments that said that he wasn't excited about it. Sidebar about that. It is very funny. And this is, this is not a Duke part, but this is just the NBA part. Everybody at the beginning of the season, when they announced this play in tournament, all the players like, yo, this hey, is a dope cool. idea. Yeah. This is a great idea. Absolutely. And now all the guys that have to play it are game. like, now the guys who have to play are like, yo, I need to rest. And I have that thing. I have that, that ankle acting up and my knees acting up. You know, I, we shouldn't be playing this, man. We should just stick with the originals, with, with the original of, of the top eight. But here's the other thing. And this kind of leads into Jason. There's a team that everyone's kind of seeing if they're going to creep up a couple of spots into that 10th spot. And that is the new New Orleans Pelicans. And, and before we get there and before we get to Jason talking about the Pelicans, the Celtics are currently seventh and they could rise, I think, as high as like fourth, depending on how they play oh, down yeah. the stretch here. So, so the, the, the teams, there's like a couple teams right at the top of the East that are sort of uncatchable. And then there's a big group right in the middle that includes teams that are currently in the play in tournament and teams that are, that are sort of in the playoffs, so to say. As, so, as, an, as an Atlanta Hawks fan, I am keenly aware of how close you, you can like literally in one day, you can go from like fourth to eighth in the Eastern conference. It is crazy. 
And meanwhile, not the if you're the Knicks, Detroit Pistons, you can't. The, the <laughs> right, New York yeah. Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks are are two of the teams that are currently right ahead of the Celtics, and both of those are franchises that are great at stumbling. So, uh, so <laughs> we will see. Sorry, Jason. Uh, so, so we'll see. Maybe maybe the Celtics get in and, and and get a full series, or maybe they only get to the play-in game, and and you'll get to see Jason Tatum go off there. So very excited to see what happens there. And of course, the Knicks are feature RJ Barrett, who's been playing very well. But Jason. We need to is talk it time? About Zion is it time? I've been so we need to talk about Zion. <laughs> the, 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 you have all the inf- you have all yeah, the you have all the stones. stones. You have all the stones. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen those. I haven't gotten to that that far in the Avengers uh, series yet, but I know about the Infinity Stones. So, uh, Jason, tell us about Zion Williamson. So when we were talking about which which teams, which Dukies in the NBA we were each going to cover, I didn't even realize that there was a, a, a beautiful synchronicity to all of this. As Sam mentioned, he's in Boston, so he talks about Jason Tatum. Donald, of course, Detroit boy, talking about Frank Jackson. My son, my son is headed to Tulane Law School this year, and so I have a connection to New Orleans. Hey, um, good so, for him. Good yeah. for him. If, if he, he didn't talk to me, by the way, because if he did, I would have told him not to go to law school, but Tulane, a very, very great <laughs> law school, and he's going to have a lot of fun down there. Yes, we're, we're really excited. We're going to be moving him in in the next uh, month or so, and, and he's really excited for it. But one of the things that I, I've already talked to some Dookie friends of mine, and we're like, road trip to New Orleans to see Zion, no question about it. Um, there was a great article. Uh, Sam often talks about The Athletic. There was a great article in The Athletic this week um, talking about uh, efficiency in the NBA and that the NBA is on course for the highest scoring season since 1971. Think about that for a moment. It has been more than four decades, five decades now, since the NBA has had this kind of scoring. And it's because of incredibly efficient shooting. Um, the current in the NBA, current free throw rates and offensive rebounding rates are terrible. Like we're going to have the lowest offensive rebounding rate in history this year, but the NBA is going to set records for free throw shooting, three point field goal percentage and field goal efficiency. And speaking about field goal efficiency leads me to talking about Zion Williamson. Oh my goodness. Do I have stats for you guys? So Zion leads the league, number one in the league in shots at the rim. That's shots taken, you know, in the restricted area, right around the basket. Get this number, 19.2%. Almost one out of every five of his shots are taken in the restricted area. Basically, he's on top of the rim to take his shot 20% of the time. The guy who's second to him is Clint Capella of the Atlanta Hawks at 13%. There's like a huge bunch of guys between like 12 and 13%. Like that's the majority of the big men in the NBA. Zion's at 20% of his shots at the rim. Like it's not even possible what he's doing. Honestly, honestly, Jason, that seems high. Here's why. Because half of them, half of his jumps are from like 15 feet, which can't be (laughs) in the restricted area. But every he's the one guy in the NBA that can make anything inside that square paint from zero feet to 15 feet feel like a layup. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunate that we don't have these kind of stats about where guys took shots throughout all of NBA history, because most people think the only, there are really only two other players in NBA history who appear to have been able to get to the rim, take their shots literally at the rim, the way Zion does Wilt Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal. And we just don't have enough data to know if those guys were taking 20% of their shots literally at the rim. But um, needless to say, as a result of Zion taking all those shots at the rim, he is, he is ridiculously efficient. He leads the NBA in points in the paint. Uh, he has more than 1,200, 1,200 points in the paint this season. The guy who's second is Nikola Jokic with 936. So Zion's 20% more. Again, every time we talk about these stats that Zion leads the league in, it's not that he leads the league by a little bit. It's not that like someone else is similar to him. He's 20%, 30%, 40% ahead of anyone else in the NBA. And, and by the way, when it comes yeah. to scoring in the paint, it's not just that he is able to, to you know, insert himself into good positioning and, and have the ball passed down to him. He is, he is coming with a head of steam into the lane. Ferocious. And, and is, he is fast and he is strong. Like you, you are really putting yourself in a, in a bad place if you're trying to stop him from getting to the rim. Uh, look, I don't know what my favorite Zion, ridiculous Zion stat is, but I'm about to give you one that is one of my favorites. I want you guys to guess, okay? I want you to guess how many shots Zion Williamson has taken that are not in the paint, 
or at the three-point line. Oh, this will be good. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, how many? Can, can you tell me how many total shots he's taken this year? Or can I guess on a, on a percentage basis? Uh, I I don't have the. I don't, Does it matter? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's say let's say he, he's Donald's taken. Wait wait. He, hold on. He's, he's taken right around a thousand field goal attempts on the year. Six seems low, but I don't know. I, the reason you're asking the question, I'll go fifteen. Uh, you almost nailed it, Sam. It's sixteen. But I think that that's a crazy number. That's, that's nuts. Absurd. So crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. He's only taken 16 shots that weren't three pointers or basically at the rim, you know, in the paint. This guy knows where his bread is buttered. He, he knows I need to get into the lane or I need to take a super efficient three point shot. It's, it's just, he just doesn't settle for those inefficient mid range jumpers. And as a result, nor he, does he have to, right? I mean, right. Yeah. He's, he, he can hit, he can hit the, the three pointer. He's, uh, he's, well, he's not having the best year from threes. I think he's only hitting like 30% from three, right. but he, but he, he's so efficient at the rim that it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And also yeah. half of those, half of those 16 attempts, like eight of them are when he was jumping from, you know, 12 feet from the, from the side to dunk on somebody. Like I have seen that more than one occasion where he has taken the ball and said, Oh, I'm 12 feet from the rim. I should pop it. Sh-. No, I'm just going to dunk it over you and attempts to dunk over somebody. And it's, it's usually very vicious. Uh, so there's so much more. I could just keep on going and going. Uh, so here, here's another fun one. A couple of nights ago, Zion went for 37 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists against Minnesota. He did it on 14 of 17 shooting. As a result, he became only the second player in the past 20 years to have a, th- a night where you scored 35, at least eight rebounds, eight assists, while shooting better than 80% from the field. 80% from the field since 1983. This is a great one. Since 1983. There have been only five players who had 10 or more games in a season where they scored 30 points while hitting better than 70% of their shots. Those five players are Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Kevin McHale, and Zion Williamson. And folks, he's 20. He's only 20 years old. And, and those guys, those guys are all Hall of Famers. Yes. Those are first ballot Hall of Famers. Those guys are legends. They're among the 50 best players of all time. Zion's doing what they did, and he's only 20. Here's another great one for you. The highest points per game ever scored by someone who hit more than 60% of their shots. Highest points per game, anyone who ever hit 60% of their shots. Here's the countdown. In 2005, Shaquille O'Neal hit 60% of his shots, averaged 23 points per game. Wilt Chamberlain did it one year when he averaged 24 points per game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Averaged 25 points per game one year when he did. And Kevin McHale also averaged 24.8, 25 points per game one year when he hit 60% of his shots. This year, Zion Williamson is averaging more than 26 points per game. I'm sorry, is he going to average more than 27 points per game? Zion Williamson is going to set a record this year for the highest points per game by someone who hits more than 60% of their shots. He's unreal. I mean, again, I can go on and on and on. There's no reason to. I, I, I got one last question for you guys. If you could put a futures bet on the Pelicans winning an NBA title in the next six years, what would the odds have? If I, if I gave you four to one, would you take it? Because I think Zion's 20. When he gets to be 20, if you look at like the league leaders and all the really advanced stats in PER and stuff like that, they're all between like 25 and 30. When Zion gets to be 25, he's the best. Is there any way he's not the best player in the league when he's 25? Not at this trajectory. But here's the thing, Jason, about all that. Now, Everything you just said is why I've said, you know, for years and why you guys have said that he is must see TV since he made his debut in February of 2020. It has been must see TV every single time he plays. Now, imagine all of those stats that you just said. And imagine this. He's been playing the last 20 games as the point guard. He has not been the guy that's lining up at center or power forward. He is the guy bringing the ball up. So when he gets into the lane, he is creating his own shot when the entire gym, everyone at home, everyone abroad, and probably some aliens on the planet that we've never heard of are like, yo, hey, man, Zion is about to shoot this basketball within six feet. There, yeah, he's, he's like a he's like a weird cross between Grant Hill and, and Shaquille O'Neal. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a great comparison. There, there's a there's an NBA reporter who says he got a hold of, of an NBA team scouting report. Now, scouting reports are very closely guarded. It is not easy to see them. There's a guy who says he got a hold of an NBA team scouting report for the New Orleans Pelicans. It was about eight pages long. They're, they're, they're literally, they did not mention a single other player. 
all the, the scouting report did nothing but talk about Zion Williamson the whole time. Brandon Ingram. And they have a, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram's a great player. Brandon Ingram he's is an like, all-star. Yeah, he's an all-star. all-star. Brandon Ingram. Who cares? Doesn't even matter. All we have to think about is what do we do about this force of nature who's going to come into the lane and we cannot stop him. They know what's coming and they still can't stop it. There is in this league right now, like I say right now as we as we record, past you know this season, there have been five guys in my mind that have been whenever they're healthy and playing, they're unstoppable. Chef Curry, Russ Westbrook, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and Zion Williamson. Anytime you have those guys playing, no matter what, the scouting reports that you say that are closely guarded, they have one name on it. because And even some teams are like, hey, Giannis, them, they're 30. You left out Giannis. Oh, yeah, Giannis. I mean, <laughs> but I'm just saying just like... Like yeah. even with Giannis, they're like, hey, you know, Giannis, you know, he'll he has some games where they're like, hey, try and stop other guys from beating you. This team, when Zion plays, they're like, hey, Zion is going to get 35, whether you guard him, whether you put your attention into him or not. It's the question of what you do with the other guys, and hopefully that he doesn't marinate into the other guys and other guys become Zion on the court. Because again, when they when the when the Pelicans have been great, it's because not just Zion has gone off for 35, but Brandon Ingram's gone off for 35 or 40, or, or Lonzo Ball has a good shooting game or something like that. But that is the one thing that I'm looking for from Pelicans in the next couple of years. If they can keep this team together and gel and maybe add one or two more pieces to it, they are going, they, to, they've be, got, they're going to be incredible to watch. They've got a big decision on Lonzo Ball. They, mm-hmm. they, they may have to pay him a lot of money, and I'm not convinced that he's worth it. Um, he has too many games... Uh, they had they had a huge game against San Antonio, you know. Donald, you were talking about can they find their way into the playoffs? They're behind San Antonio um, as they uh, as they attempt to get into the playoffs. They had a huge game the other day that they lost, where Lonzo was like I don't know, like three of twelve or something like like not good, not good at all. And his defense needs to be better if he's gonna if he's gonna get the money he's gonna ask for. But th- and this yeah, is a whole other conversation. And yeah, Zion, of- Zion, Zion. To wrap this up, Zion is. The one of the greatest talents that we've seen ever. And if you want to get in on and watching someone develop into an absolute, an actual monster, I know Space Jam, the new legacy is coming out this summer. But if you want to see an actual monster in the court, anytime the New Orleans Pelicans play, look for number one, Zion Williamson. He's he's the real deal. And the Pelicans are, as we speak, are currently playing the Warriors in a, in a what's a tight game early. They're two and a half games behind San Antonio for that 10th spot, for that last spot in the play-in, and three and a half games behind Memphis. So it, it's a bit of an uphill climb. They do have one game left against the Grizzlies. They don't have any more against the Spurs. We, we mentioned that they they recently played their last game against the Spurs. But So the Pelicans are not out of it yet. They're not in the playoffs at the moment, but tune in and, and see if Zion can, uh, can claw his way into the playoffs and maybe make a few highlights along the way. Guys, We have been talking for a while about Dukies in the NBA. We have to talk a little bit about Duke in the NFL draft. But first, we're going to take a quick break. So stick with us. We will be right back. Welcome back. We are now going to get into the proceedings from over the weekend uh, pertaining to the NFL draft. The NFL draft went on last weekend and Duke had four players selected. This is the most players that Duke has ever had selected in the NFL draft since 1973, which I think was a long time ago. I don't remember 1973. I don't think Donald remembers 1973 and Jason barely I'm old. remembers 1973. I'm old. I don't, I mean, nah, not really. Not, barely. No, barely. Barely. I was six. It, it, I was yeah. six, man. So, so 1973 was a long time ago. That's I'm the sure last I enjoyed time ice cream. Four players <laughs> and, and all those guys went on the last day, but hey, you get drafted on the last day. It still counts as getting drafted. So we'll, we'll cover a few of these guys. We'll, we'll share with some, uh, some fun facts with you about them. Defensive end, Chris Rump, the second, fourth round pick by the Chargers. Defensive back, Michael Carter, the second is headed to the Jets. He went in the fifth round and he was also drafted next to another guy named Michael Carter who also went to the Jets, which is pretty crazy. Tight end Noah Gray is headed to Kansas City in the fifth round. That is, uh, personally, uh, I'll I'll editorialize a little bit here, although I'm not the biggest NFL guy. I think this is a great landing spot 
for for Noah Gray. This is this is awesome for him to be playing in Kansas City, a team with a uh, with a high powered offense that that really knows how to use a lot of guys. And uh, Vic Dimukeji is headed to the Cardinals. He was a six round pick, so that's four guys for Duke who were drafted. They also had um, three guys who were not drafted but signed as undrafted free agents. Cornerback Mark Gilbert who we've talked about a lot on this program as being someone who has a ton of athleticism and a ton of pro potential, but just too many injuries during his time at Duke to, to really fulfill some of that promise. Um, he's headed to Pittsburgh. Offensive tackle Devery Hamilton is going to the Raiders. They are in Las Vegas now. They don't play in Oakland anymore. They play in Las Vegas in a stadium that I drove by once that looks extremely cool, and I can't wait to check that out. Maybe maybe we'll go there in November when we... Uh, when we uh, go to the basketball game, we'll see. We'll see how, how those plans come along. And finally, running back Deion Jackson was also undrafted. He's headed to Indianapolis. So, Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Got anything fun about any of these guys who are headed off to the NFL? Yeah, well, first off, you, you kind of briefly mentioned it with Michael Carter uh, being selected by the Jets in the fifth round. Uh, the other Michael Carter from the running back from North Carolina was also selected by the Jets. First time in the history of the NFL, a team took two players with the same name, with the same spelling in the same draft. And oh yeah, they just happened to have played their college ball eight miles apart. Now they will be teammates at MetLife Stadium. So I think that's pretty cool. The one thing I will say- Do you think, uh, do you think that they'll be roommates at, at rookie camp? Oh, they're going to have to sing a song together. And it may be something Absolutely. like <laughs> some twins oriented song or something where, or, or they have to, you know, what's really going to be interesting is on their helmets, they usually have their last names. What are they going to put? On the well, it's going to have Carter. It's going to be Carter too, right? Everything's going to say Carter too. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It, it's already built so in. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how that works. But uh, you touched on Mark Gilbert. I think you know we've all rooted for him for a long time. He was at Duke for six seasons uh, because of his injuries. But it's great to see him sign a contract. But the two guys that before last season, I knew, I know that Duke didn't have a, a great season on the on the gridiron. But we talked about two guys all season as two guys that we knew we would be playing seeing play on Sundays. And that's Chris Rumpf and Victor Dimikaji. And both of them going in the fourth and sixth round, I think is great. They both end up in great positions. Chris Rumpf, especially, he's going to learn a lot behind Aaron Donald and Dom Kinsu in that line. So, uh, you know, that is going to be great. But really, when you look at all the ACC programs, mind you, think about how poorly our season went last year. Among ACC programs, Duke's four selections in the draft ranked fourth behind Pittsburgh, Clemson, and North Carolina. So, that's a good sign. This is something you always want to see your guys drafted into the NFL, drafted into the NBA. And this is only something that, that the Cutcliffe and the staff can take. And when they go recruit, they go, hey, guys, you know, I know last season wasn't great, but we have seven guys that are NFL players now from that team. So that is a really good sign for the program and, and really sure sign that, that the development is working, even if we're not getting the results on the field. These guys are excelling. They're obviously excelling in the classroom and they are going and fulfilling their dreams of becoming NFL players. So congratulations to all of the draftees and the signees. Excellent stuff, Donald. Jason, what do you have on NFL draft stuff from Duke? Well, it's so ironic. Donald talked about all the guys except the two ones that I wanted to talk about. So that worked out perfectly. Uh, first one I wanted Set it to up mention, for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Noah Gray. Um, I think he's going into a great situation in Kansas City. Uh, obviously, Travis Kelsey is, you know, arguably the best tight end in all of football right now. But um, his backup is a guy named Nick Kaiser, who who's sort of an NFL journeyman. He's not someone who he, he's, you know, he was like on he was drafted a few years ago and he got dropped by one team then picked up by another. Um, but Nick Kaiser is not great competition, I don't think, for Noah Gray. Uh, I think Kansas City probably envisions Noah Gray as the backup to Travis Kelsey. Now, that's not to say he's going to get a lot of time. Travis Kelsey plays every down he possibly can, and Patrick Mahomes looks for him a lot. But Kelsey's 31, um, and over the course of time, they're going to need to sort of move someone else into that position. And, and I think Noah Gray showed uh, at Duke that he can really run good routes and he's got very good hands for a tight end. I, th I think he's going to start to develop some nice chemistry. Clearly, this is a team. Patrick Mahomes likes to throw the ball to the tight end. And uh, I think this could be a really good spot for Noah Gray over the course of some time. The other one I want to talk about is Deion Jackson. Deion Jackson, this is kind of crazy. He got a $45,000 signing bonus with the Indianapolis Colts. That is believed to be the largest signing bonus of any undrafted free agent this year. It shows that the Colts really wanted this guy 
and that they expect him to make their team and be a part of their future. The Colts have a bunch of running backs who are going to be free agents after this coming season. And there's going to be space on that roster. They're not going to retain all these guys. There's going to be space on that roster. It is very possible as an undrafted, undrafted free agent. The Jackson, you know, will be like on the practice squad his first year, you know, maybe active for some games, not active for other ones. But I think the fact that they committed uh, $45,000, the most of any undrafted free agent toward Deion Jackson tells you that they think they're going to bring him along and make him part of their, their running back rotation in 2022. Um, so I, I think it's a, a great situation for him. And of course, we will be following all of their careers. Hopefully, lots of success on the gridiron for all of them. I, I think, Jason, I'm glad you talked about Deion Jackson because I think we saw flashes of, of his talent over a few years in Durham, and hopefully things work out for him in the NFL. It does sound like the Colts are excited to have him. So we'll be and, tracking all of that. I was going to say, and, and look, as these guys succeed in the NFL, it, it helps Duke's recruiting. It helps Duke's football program. Absolutely. Having, yeah, having a bunch of guys drafted and then hopefully having those guys turn into NFL regulars who maybe get mentioned on broadcasts every now and then. These are really important things for the future of the Duke football program. We will wrap it up with one final note. Donald, I know you wanted to talk about this. There have been a flurry of transfers into the Duke women's basketball program that, that Carol Lawson is currently at the helm of. Uh, and we talked a lot about Carol Lawson last week when we interviewed uh, Kevin White and Nina King. So, Donald, tell us a little bit about the transfers that Coach Lawson's bringing in. Yeah, so Carol Lawson has been on fire when it comes to the transfer portal. We've talked about the transfer portal a lot on the men's basketball side, but on the women's basketball side, it has been the source of a lot of turnover uh, just as much as on the men's side. But for Kara Lawson, she has been using that to her advantage. Uh, just last weekend, she announced that six transfers, six from the transfer portal, had signed scholarships to attend Duke and suit up for the women's basketball team this coming season. We have Elizabeth Balagun from Louisville, who we had learned about earlier, Lexi Gordon from Texas Tech, Amaya Finkley-Giddy from Syracuse, Imani Lewis from Wisconsin, Jordan Oliver from Baylor, and Celeste Taylor from Texas. Now, this is great because, and I think we kind of leaned into this a little bit when we talked to Nina King and, uh, and Kevin White uh, just this past week about the transfer portal, about how important it has become and how it has kind of shaped how college basketball recruiting has been and even college football recruiting. But with, you know, for, for college basketball on the men's side, it's been the focus, but on the women's side, it's where you can get some great talent and some incredible players from incredible programs are coming into this university to play basketball for Kara Lawson and for the women's basketball team. So uh, congratulations to them. We look forward to seeing them on campus. And I, I know all of us are, have been, we've talked about how we're excited about the Kara era and we didn't get to see it really blossom in his first year. This for all intents and purposes is going to be his first full season. And we can't be more excited to see these ladies get on campus and tear it up. You know, one of the key things about all those transfers is they, they all, they, almost all of them come from power five programs um, a lot of them were starters at those Power Five programs. A lot of them were five-star, highly touted recruits. It is amazing in one year, in one offseason, the way she is completely remaking this Duke roster. Um, and there are people out there who say, look, Duke, Duke did not, was not a program that was stocked with, with players that you felt like were going to make an NCAA tournament when Kara arrived on the scene. Um, Basically, in one year, she's turned this team into a team that, that the experts all say should be very much an NCAA and ACC contender, which is truly, truly impressive. Shows the power of her personality to convince these folks, having you know watched her half a dozen games or whatever of coaching, that these recruits have bought into what she's building at Duke. It's really special. We're going to be a very physical team next year. And I really like that because a lot of these players are coming from programs that are built on physicality, but still are able to be creative in the paint and shoot threes and, and make baskets. But the fact that we're going to have a, a physical nature to our game, we're going to be the, we're going to, we're, we're trying to enter the season as not necessarily the bad ladies on the block, but we're going to be a team that people aren't going to be able to just push over. They're going to be ones that are going after victories and being aggressive. So I'm looking forward to that. Very cool stuff. All right. We have, we have gone on 
about as long as we possibly can for an off-season show where there is basically no men's basketball news to talk about because we're just waiting for men's basketball news to come out. So we are going to leave it there. I still owe everybody results from the survey, which I have downloaded, but I'm still organizing. I will tell you, I will preview some of the results that I'm going to share with you and tell you that among the three of us, according to the listeners who answered the survey, they said that I am the funniest member of the podcast. I am going to take my ball and go home. So that's that's the only <laughs> that's the only bit of news you're going to get from me out of the survey. Okay, that's all that matters. See, and then we just proved it. We just proved the whole thing. Life. No, I don't. the whole thing. The whole thing was just a ruse for me to find out that I'm funnier than you guys. So um, we will leave it there. It turns out it turns out you're both you're both great at other things too. Um, so we'll 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 talk more about that another time. We'll talk more about recruiting news. We'll talk more about. Duke guys in the NBA because the playoffs are going to be littered with Duke guys in the NBA and that's got to go on for another couple months. There's an NBA draft coming up. There's all kinds of things happening in Duke basketball world. We will be here to talk about it. Stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com. Email us anytime you want. We've been getting a lot of great emails recently. So that's been a lot of fun and we'll talk to you again whenever we get to it. Oh, one more thing that I forgot to mention because I know we talk about how great Jason's return to glory show has been. Jason, I would like to make a special request. Yes. Is it possible for us to do an episode that's just Carlos Boozer swearing? Because I feel like, <laughs> yes. I feel like from, from I, like I know this from watching him as a player for so long at Duke and then in the NBA, I know that Carlos Boozer has very colorful language and he displays a little bit of it in the show. And I just want like 20 minutes of Carlos Boozer cursing at people because that is my favorite thing, I think, so far about Return to Glory. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not only Carlos. Uh, Jay Will swears a lot. Um, I've gotten a few from Chris Duhon. Um, it, it, it's been fun. Yeah. Carlos yeah. Boozer is, is, is a legendary talker, I think. He's yes. he's great at that. So the, the last episode was was about Carlos Boozer in a lot of ways. So that was a lot of fun. We have another one coming up this week. Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell working you, on. Right, I, one of the wonderful things, and this is not intentional, but this is just sort of the ebb and flow of the season. One of the wonderful things about these episodes is they tend to sort of focus on a different player each time. It's just kind of the stories of the season. So the Miracle Minute episodes, a lot of Jay Will, a lot of talk about Jay Will of those, you know, Carlos gets hurt, a lot of conversation about Carlos. I'm telling you the next episode, Casey Sanders and Reggie Love. Get ready for a lot of conversation about Casey Sanders and Reggie Love. And then down the line, I'm telling you, you have probably the biggest name that you haven't heard much from in, in Return to Glory has been Mike Dunleavy. It's because I'm saving it. There is some Mike Dunleavy gold coming your way when we get to the final four. I promise. Cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for the rest of these episodes. We have not heard any of this yet because we know that you're still working on them. So I'm excited to have all of that come out. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 312 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.